Welcome to episode two of Theater 33's podcast series, Building Play. I'm your host, Susan Coramel, and the artistic director of Theater 33, which is a new play development company in residence at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. Building Play is a podcast about the work we do at Theater 33, and it features discussions with playwrights, actors, dramaturgs, and designers, all who make up and contribute to Building Play. You can find us and subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Please do subscribe and support Theater 33. You can find us on the web at www.theater33.org. My guest today is E.M. Lewis, otherwise known as Ellen. Ellen wrote Dorothy's Dictionary, which we workshopped last month. Ellen is an award-winning playwright, teacher, opera librettist. Her work has been produced around the world and published by Samuel French. Ellen received an Edgerton Award for the world premiere of her epic Antarctica play Magellanica at Artist Repertory Theatre, the Steinberg Award for Song of Extinction, and the Primus Prize for Heads from the American Theatre Critics Association, the Ted Schmidt Award from the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle for Outstanding Writing of a World Premiere Play, and most recently, this year's Steinberg Award for her play How the Light Gets In. We are also joined by our resident dramaturg, Deb Vaughn, and founding member, lighting designer, sound designer, and production manager, Rachel Kinsman-Steck. So good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. So, Ellen. Yes. (laughs) Having worked on, on several of your plays as a producer and a director... I found that besides the themes of hope and life-affirming journeys and tangled relationships, your plays are also really <laughs> layered with history and philosophy and literature, which really draw an audience in to want to know more about the incidents that you're writing about. And I think particularly of Song of Extinction and um, Magellanica, and even the journey of words that you take us on in Dorothy's Dictionary. It makes us want to know more. So I, I wanted to if you could speak to um, a bit about your process um, in, in, in writing these plays and, and um, is it a repeatable one or does one play take on a different process than another? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's delightful to be back with you. Uh, and it was so fun to work with you all on Dorothy's Dictionary. Uh, I do find that every play is its own process. Uh, every time you start with a blank piece of paper and you go on the journey that the play wants you to go on, that the characters demand, uh, not that you want. Uh, I do have, as just a human being, not just as a playwright, but as, as a human being, I have lots of big questions about the universe. And some of those questions are questions about sociopolitical things, and some of them are questions about history and Some of them are questions about science and ecological issues, and some of them are questions about the human heart. And I feel so lucky to be a playwright because I can go down any rabbit hole that I want to. (laughs) I can, um, I'm, I'm a person who's curious about the world. And being a playwright is perfect because the questions that I have about the universe are oftentimes the questions that my characters are asking about the universe and in their quest I find answers. And when you 
um, think about, do you keep a notebooks of, of thoughts that, that <laughs> turn into plays later or how, how does that process work? Goodness, my brain is teeming at all times. <laughs> I have little pieces of paper everywhere, uh, backs of envelopes, uh, uh, little sticky notes stuck places with play ideas. Um, ideas are not a problem, <laughs> but just because I have an idea doesn't mean it has enough room to go to go especially as a full-length play if something something has to have some weight and substance and shape to it in order to become a full-length play because a full-length play is a real journey even if it's not a very long play but if it is a really long play you there has to be a shape and a structure and characters in conflict with each other and real big questions about what the characters need embedded in their relationships with each other. Well, that was a sidebar for me. I was wondering what your favorite part of writing is, whether it's the dialogue or is it the story structure or is it possible that you can't really separate those two things? <laughs> um, it is hard to separate. It's hard to say which is a favorite um, because each is its own challenge. I am a person who thinks a lot about structure. Structure is really important to me. And that feels like a key that unlocks a lot of things about a play. And my ability to write a play is once I figure out what the structure of it is, I'm free to, to, to follow it, to chase it to the end. Um, but it's hard sometimes to find structure because I also respect an organic structure to the play. I'm not cookie cutter <laughs> in my writing. I don't say by page this, you have to do that. That's not what I mean by structure. I think the best structure is organic and is like a seed becoming a tree. <laughs> when you look at the seed, you don't know tree necessarily. Um, you have to figure out and parse its little DNA and watch it grow from the pieces that you start to uh, put together and intuit what it's trying to become. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love character and dialogue too, though, because mm -hmm. what's more fun than the characters starting to talk to you? <laughs> right. Their voices in my head. I remember when I was working on a play called Heads. I was working on that when I lived in Los Angeles and I was driving back and forth uh, to my uh, steady day job that I had at the time and uh, up and down the freeway. And the, these two characters who were in the play locked in a cell together were just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And it's like, I couldn't get to one place to work or back home fast enough <laughs> to write down what they were saying. And then I remember having finished the play and going to work the next day. And I was like, why is it so quiet in my car? <laughs> like they stopped talking. They're, they're gone. Like, it's That's wonderful, right. but it's also sad. Oh, <laughs> I miss yeah. Them. yeah. So I'd like to bring in our dramaturg, Deb Vaughn, um, into this conversation. I was thinking about the this idea of, of how, you know, you're talking about structure and you're talking about it being intuitive, but then when you, when you build a, a play like, um, uh, Magellanica, which is a fictional account of the real moment when we discovered a hole in the ozone layer and, um, 
and it's six hours long, um, which was an amazing experience. Um, but how how do you? I mean, how do you keep track of a two-hour play, let alone a six-hour play? And and what is the role that um, that you find you you create, or not role, but um, relationship you create with your dramaturg? And in that instance, but also in Dorothy's dictionary, maybe specifically. Well, I had a wonderful time working with Deb, who is the dramaturg on Dorothy's Dictionary. Um, a good dramaturg just knows what questions to ask to kind of help you unlock what you're working for. And it, it's um, and just kind of showing you what they see and asking you questions. And it's this gentle guidance in the best situations. And I've been lucky to work with some good dramaturgs. Um, Deb, what, can you, what did you want to add to that? We had such fun, I thought. It was a pleasure, Ellen. Although I am glad that I was the dramaturg for Dorothy's Dictionary, which I think started out at 40 minutes and not Magellanica that started out <laughs> at six hours. So thank you for, for that gift. Um, I describe my role uh, when I introduce myself at Theater 33 as the dramaturg who gets to be the um, writing coach and the script cheerleader. And so my experience with Dorothy's Dictionary was that I was handed a script that it was so easy to get behind. It was in a beautiful place in terms of the character development and the structure. Um, and the, the heart of what you wanted to say. So it gave us a really solid place to jump off from. Um, and I remember in our initial conversation that I think one of the things I asked you is, well, what, are you, what do you want to do with this during the script development process? Which is one of the things I love about Theater 33. I think if we were a full production company, you wouldn't really get the chance to answer that question because the goal would be the production. It, at here, the goal is the journey through the rehearsal process together. And so you get the opportunity and I get the opportunity to just open that up. And so when you came and said, you know, I'm actually not too concerned about the structure. I'm not too concerned about the characters. What I want to know is, are there places to expand this piece that don't make it bloated? And I, you, so you were very clear in your intention, which then allowed me to, as I read through the text, look for those places of curiosity and opening and where there might be space and then ask you questions about um, what might happen there. And um, then you were able to respond with a, a lovely piece that I think grew to about 55 minutes, I think we came in at. Yes, um, which was... That's a lot for a short process. <laughs> it was, and right, we had what three, four rehearsals, I guess, yeah, um, mm -hmm. over the course of a week. So to be able to increase the length by that amount, and to have, I think, the feedback we heard from the audience was that it was that the story was intact, and they they didn't check out, and that the piece continues to stand on its own. And um, what I think a lot of people don't know about the process of writing plays is it is collaborative and inclusive from the very beginning, even the writing process. And so when I get an idea for a play, I will work on it, I'll sometimes research it, I'll follow it, I'll write down little pieces of dialogue on pieces of paper. But once I have a draft of it, I hope that they, I have the luck to have between six and 12 readings and or workshopping processes between that point uh, and it being produced because 
it needs that. It needs to be unpacked and discovered and, sh and uh, shaped by the questions and input that I receive from actors and dramaturgs and directors as we imagine together what it can look like once, it wants, once it's up on stage. So this, is, this was a great timing for this process to happen with this very new play. And Ellen, I remember you telling me a little bit about some of the previous readings that you'd had of Dorothy and how, uh, you know, the dynamic between the characters changed, uh, not only in your writing, but also because of the actors and their casting and their interpretation. And then once we got into rehearsal, hearing you be so inspired by the work that the Theater 33 actors were doing and you coming back with these scenes that you and I hadn't even imagined existing before those those two actors became a part of the collaboration. It was lovely. I love actors so much. They are just open-hearted <laughs> people who are willing to leap. And as a somewhat introverted, friendly, but introverted writer type, uh, I'm so grateful for their courage in having emotions and conversations for me <laughs> uh, becoming my characters in a public way especially um, from the privacy and isolation see what I'm writing um, it's just it's great and we had a great pair of actors uh, that Susan brought in for this process and I think especially asking them and receiving that vulnerability from the privacy of their own isolated locations doing this in a digital format was really impressive to me. It, it worked. Yeah, it worked in a way I didn't necessarily, well, I wondered about, honestly, because um, uh, we have two, two actors in this play and, and they, you know, they are at the mercy, as we all are, to our internet connection. <laughs> and and um, how, does, how do they connect with each other? How does that, you know in terms of creating a, a reading that is that is useful um to the mm -hmm. to the playwright it's There's, and it is what it is but you know it's a little bit harder to connect with one another although they did a fantastic job but i think that is more challenging using mm -hmm. the technology but what you gain it seems like is a tremendous intimacy because the audience is just as far away as the camera uh yeah. suddenly mm -hmm. You can whisper, you can, um, the internal stuff or something that's just a breath can read in this format uh, where it couldn't perhaps on a stage uh, with a 300 person audience. Um, they would have to be bigger and so they can be more intimate uh, with the camera on Zoom. So I don't know, it's weird. We're all getting used to it and trying to figure it out. We I think are. one of the things that I liked about the Zoom platform was that it uh, distilled everything down to the actors' voices and their faces and the text. And that's one of the challenges of uh, trying to do this script development work with an actual public performance at the end is, is in, in the final stage, uh, they are, uh, there are the additional elements of costumes and props and sets and lights and sound and the dynamic of the audience. And so the text gets combined in that blender as it would in a full production, which is part of the magic of live theater. But in some ways, this distillation to this digital platform really makes certainly the production team and the actors focus 
clearly on the text and in some ways maybe helps the audience do that as well. Mm-hmm. 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 But since you've mentioned um, design, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to um, bring Rachel into the conversation. And I mean, what we do when we're not in a pandemic at Theater 33 is we put uh, take a couple of weeks to work on a to workshop a play and then and create a a simple but um, a, a design create the design elements to give to give our audience a more three dimensional. Uh, feeling for the play they are script in hand always um but but you know as the audience says i i didn't even notice the script is often what they say um which is both wonderful and disturbing to me at the same time (laughs) as an actor myself Um, but i i wanted to know rachel what um as a designer uh working on new plays what what do you um look for um from the playwright in these moments? Oh, wow. Uh, well, it's, it's always tremendously, uh, insightful to work with Ellen. I would say, uh, I really enjoy the process with you. Um, and I think there we've, we, we have a few folks who've been back a couple of times, playwrights that have been back a couple of times that I do really, as a designer, enjoy working with because, um, they draw us everyone into their into their process, and and the thing with theater thirty three is, as a designer, I do look at at the text differently than I might in a um, already produced uh, scripted play, right? Um, where actually a lot of our training is ignore the stage directions, and that can't happen in theater thirty three. Um, in fact, the stage directions are often read on stage, um, and and I think that's okay, right? Like that, that difference is really an okay part of the process. Um, because that script was developed whenever it was, however, and whenever it was developed and, and technology has changed and, and context has changed. And, and so oftentimes you're pulling, uh, a script that maybe was written, uh, 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, even five years ago. And the context has changed two years ago, three years ago, and the context has changed. Right. And so what, what makes, what makes a text viable to the community is so layered, right? At Theater 33, we're building that that context with our community and the playwright together. And so we honor the text differently than we might in a more traditional text. So for me, I look very closely at the, um, the italics, the things that are usually not said and that the audience doesn't see. Um, and and instead of it being a choice, it's uh, it becomes part and parcel of the, the of the project. Um, and I find that we can find inconsistencies with the text that support the playwright um, through really paying close attention to those little nuanced elements. Um, I enjoy uh, the challenges of a new text and of, of a playwright coming to the table and saying, uh, I I, I want to I want to put a drone in the theater. Not that's not Ellen. That's not Ellen's text. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> or developing a more a cinematic way of looking at theater, which I think is a process that's been coming more and more. Um, and then trying to solve those problems are a lot of fun. And the coolest part about solving the problems is I don't have to solve them by myself or just with the design team. We get to come back to the playwright and talk mm-hmm. to the playwright, like, what's your intention here? Um, when you, when you wrote that, or when you were thinking about that, what do you see in your head? And then how can we work together and collaborate to bring that 
to a place in an intimate theater that that can happen and you can see whether or not that really works for what you're attempting. Um, and so that's a lot of fun. So it's a lot of fun to try to solve the, the, the design challenges that a text brings with the playwright. I think we all learn a lot, not just, not just the designers and the designers aren't just teaching the playwright. Like you can't do that on stage or whatever, um, <laughs> or that's really expensive. So if you want to do that on stage, that's, that's going to be a, a big challenge. Not, not that, but just that we learn from each other about how, how, how we create atmosphere, how we, how we build the context, how we do all of those kinds of things. I'm and curious, is, Ellen, how it makes you feel when you hear somebody say, well, you know, the first thing we're taught is disregard the stage directions because that's, to- <laughs> that's what I got in my theater education too. But as a playwright, mm-hmm. like I, I see your stage directions and how intentional you are and how your stage directions actually often match the tone of the script. They're not sort of mechanical. Um, and so I love that dynamic of the two coming at it from two different perspectives, a, a playwright who's been very intentional about those directions and a designer who's also very intentional about how to interpret and honor and also not be bound by those directions. Absolutely. Well, I think that probably the first person who crossed out all the stage directions had the best intent of trying to listen to the play, listen to the play itself and and see what to make of it um but i do write my stage directions as carefully as i write any line of dialogue in the play and all of it hopefully is building the same world and so my and my thought is that i will be minimal but i will be poetic enough to not reign in a designer, but to inspire a designer. And hopefully any designer and director team that's looking at my plays will uh, find in them enough specificity to build the same world that the actors are inhabiting with the characters, but also have plenty of room to make it their own. Because I think that that's that's the perfect set design. If I've done my job properly, um, it, I help the, the des- designer and I am, am speaking to the designer. We're, we're working together. We should work together a lot more often. Um, one of the most fun experiences I've had uh, educationally is when I was asked to um, be a respondent at the uh, Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival, one of their regional festivals and invited to bring Magellanica, my giant Antarctic epic adventure story, um, to a three-day workshopping process in which I brought me and my play, and I paired with two design instructors, and we had, I think, 25 25, uh, students, five in each of the design disciplines, tackling my play and we split them up in different ways they were all from different schools from different states across the region and so sometimes some some days we would pair all of the costume designers together and all of the set designers together and all the sound designers together other times we'd make mixed up teams of them but really sitting there and listening to how designers young designers and their teachers ask 
questions of the text and how they uh, interpret that was an education for me. And so um, I think we should have, I think we would have better stage directions from playwrights if we got to play with designers more often. I think yeah. that should happen. <laughs> so, Rachel, what you doing? <laughs> On the topic of designers, I, uh, here's a question for you. I, um, years ago, I had the um, opportunity to, to sit and have a meal with Marcia Norman. And she talked to me, um, I asked her the question, was there ever a, a set of a production that you, of a play you wrote, uh, was there ever a production that was so off the wall that you thought, how did they possibly come up with this from my play? And her answer was from Night Mother. She saw an Eastern European production of it, which was a gigantic ashtray and the back wall was a mo- box of Marlboro cigarettes. What? <laughs> Why? It was really. I think. I think uh, for for that production team, the the middle class white uh, life in the U.S. was Marlboro cigarettes. <laughs> that's that's all I can get from that. But, wow. but anyway, so is that is that something that um, has happened where where you've like, oh, how did how did that become that? <laughs> um, you know, I've I've had some marvelous sets. I've been more lucky than not uh, in the design from my plays and being well-imagined by director designer teams for them. But the one thing that sometimes I do run into is that I, I frequently write, and this might speak to your, what you said about cinematic writing, Rachel, is not all of my plays, but some of my plays have a fast shift in one scene to the next scene to the next scene. And I remember a college designer uh, tackling Song of Extinction. And it was only the second production of that play. It was very early in its life. And I was brought in for the very end of the process. So uh, it was a college production, but it was at a festival. And I came and sat through a design run through uh, and it was two days before the whole audience of festival goers came. And at the end, um, they were sitting there and asked me what I thought. And I was like, well, you can do whatever you'd like, but you can't turn off the lights after every scene. You just can't. It's not built to work that way. There's supposed to be a fluidity of one scene stepping into the next scene, stepping into the next scene where um, you, and it's okay even if they overlap, if one person is still walking out of one scene when another character is walking into the next. And the, uh, the young director, she gulped. <laughs> And she uh, kind of took a deep breath and then she reteched the entire show overnight. She brought everybody in and said, we're, we're reteching it. And it was beautiful because what she'd done was right, but that the play demanded more fluidity because it was stopping every single mm-hmm. time and it didn't need to stop. It wanted to go. And so it was, I, would, I applaud her still. She, she learned a really great lesson from you that day. <laughs> well, and, and, but it was great to work together. And I'm so glad yeah. that she was not offended, but she did 
make it more beautiful than she'd already made it. And now she just needs to read Shakespeare to really get that, to understand that. I was going to say, that's a, that's a pre, uh, pre-cinematic function, right? Shakespeare's our, our best buddy at that. Yep. So my, my question is, when you, when you hit a situation like that, does that make you think when you're going into your next play process, like, how do I articulate tempo um, between scenes and things like that in order to not fall into that on a regular basis. So this is clearly a young student who's, who's learning the process and, yes. and going through the process. Right. And so maybe what, and was working probably with a young design team in the same regard. And so their knowledge base was maybe a little bit narrower than a professional theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, tempo and time, which is where I live, right. I live in the world of tempo and time with sound and lights and projections um, can is often not written in the text right so you're you're working closely with with your with your actors and your um typically without the playwright there to ask the question mm-hmm. right to move forward um and and there are you know from my perspective there's been times where where my tempo has not matched um what i had imagined when i was reading the text to what was becoming the stage right what was be, the process was becoming and and, I, and then i had to work with the the process to either um have them see my side of things or 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 to move with their side of things depending Mm -hmm. on on where skill and and interpretation and all those other kinds of things so as a playwright um i know you think about it tempo um and and time and even in in your very long plays think about tempo and time Um, (laughs) so but how 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 do you think how, what are the kinds of clues that you give in the text towards that sort of thing? And well, Ellen, I would add, can you speak to, I, you know, I come from a music background and in music, composers have many tools about time and tempo that they can use or not use to communicate to a performer or a director. And so I'm curious uh, too, like what are the overt and covert tools that you as a playwright can implement and you know if you could invent uh some more overt standard communication tools what might that look like (laughs) well it's uh i love this question um from both angles here because i do think a lot about time and pace and the feeling of that and the first way that i do that is speaking primarily to the actors I think although you know everything's speaking to everybody we're all telling the story together Uh, but that is in beats and pauses and moments and long pauses and in almost every rehearsal period including this one (laughs) we end up that I'm involved in we end up having a conversation about what do they mean how are they different from I like my pinter (laughs) Um, but silence is important and space is important and when you say something immediately versus when you take a beat and then say it, it feels different. And people understand uh, that when uh, you ask uh, someone, uh, uh, are you pregnant? And they say, no, that's different from uh, you ask them, are you pregnant? And they say, no. (laughs) I mean, it's, Suddenly there's, just by adding a little bit of space in between, you are shaping what the story is. So, so the silencer is important, um, but so is the movement. And I'll use a couple different tools for that. One is the note. 
at the beginning of the play, I try and I try very hard to keep myself to a single page of what I call the information page, which is the characters, the time and place, and then any note. I'm like, if I can't say it in a single page, all of that, then I'm talking too much. Distill it, distill it, distill it. Um, but I'm not against putting a little note that says, you know, uh, this play has to move seamlessly from end to end, never turn out the lights. <laughs> Sometimes I will say that now. <laughs> uh, or um, allow there to be overlap uh, in the scenes or things like that I put in the notes. Um, increasingly, I have thought about music though. So Deb, you are asking about music and for the last six years or so, I have been working in opera. It's my uh, weird side gig <laughs> of becoming an opera librettist. Strange for this Oregon farm girl to wander into that world, even more than the theater world. Um, but I love it. It's delightful. And it's kind of natural for me because I think I did think musically a little bit already. There is something musical to what we're doing in that you can think about a crescendo that lasts the entire play or you can think about use, using musical terms um, can can help you in describing what you're wanting to have in speech and rhythm and all of that so I don't know I, I it's it depends on the play but it's nice to have play with all the tools or sometimes steal them from other mediums so just to add to that point and slightly switch topics, I guess um, not. it's not even a big topic, but that I really love that about Dorothy's Dictionary, that instead of saying scene one, act one, or whatever it is, that you went chapter one, chapter two, right? Um, <laughs> and and that's so lovely. And and for a designer, that gives us, that that places us, right? That that tells us something really important, and it, and it gives us an opportunity to really, you're, you're, you're basically saying, yes, go play there go there, go play there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I appreciate that. And so I was just listening to what you were saying about, you know, using different language, depending on the, the, the play. And I think that, that as I'm interpreting text, that is so wonderful for me because it actually, even if it's, if it's quite specific and, or has specificity in the language, you're, you're basically telling me where to, where to place emphasis or how to play. Right. Um, and, 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 not even how to play, but like giving me permission to do that. Right. In in ways that yeah. I think, um, as a musician, like the four, four is like, that's no time to play. Right. Like there's this, like, that's the beat. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, and, and, you know, like, okay, maybe, Ooh, I got a Rondo at the end. Thank you. Um, or whatever it is, but th th it's, so it, it is, it's, 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 it's truly lovely that you, and I've seen that in your work over the couple times that I've been able to design with you. And I'm looking forward to, to, to the new text of Dorothy's dictionary to do the same thing because you, you're making it clear what I, what, what is important to you while at the same time, giving me permission to, to build that world with you. It's and I think, absolutely. It, it's just, um, I always want, um, being, being a playwright uh, is such a lucky thing because the story that I write ends up being much bigger than anything I can tell by myself because I'm not telling it by myself. I'm telling it with 
these other beautiful human beings who are bringing everything they are and everything they know to it. And so it's bigger than any of us. It is when we do it right, when we have those golden moments, uh, it's beautiful and bigger than us. But at the same time, we're all um, rowing in the same direction with each other. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so fun to do this. Rachel, I'm glad you brought up the chapter structure because I was thinking about that when Ellen was speaking um, about, is it, uh, Susan asked a question, is it structure first or is it character? And Ellen, your first answer was the structure is so important. And I thought when I first read Dorothy's dictionary, that convention of calling them chapters instead of scenes set a structure for the story that you were going to tell that became very clear right off the bat. So I wanted to, to loop back to that. And then also to the musicality, um, I remember in one of our early rehearsals for Dorothy's Dictionary there, I was reading the stage directions as the actors were working. And there's a part where the where Dorothy is on the heart monitor and there's a moment of silence that you built in and the stage directions say something like you, the only sound you can hear is the heart monitor. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, which is, a line that a character has said earlier, but you echoed it and repeated it in the stage directions. And I think, I imagine as a designer reading that, that gives you a really clear um, place of imagination to, to riff off of the actor's interpretation, to work off what a heart monitor actually sounds like, and to try to convey that stage direction through the sound design. And it, that's one of those beautiful points of collaboration between so many artists that on stage can really make a magical moment. It also reminds us that that machine is human too, I think mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I had a question that's kind of going in a different, slightly different direction, but I've been curious to ask you this. Mm -hmm. um, You've been playwriting for for a while now, um, and has the career of playwriting, has the business of playwriting, has it changed? Um, certainly, it has changed in the last year with the pandemic, but um, in the last five or, or ten years, has there been a shift in how playwrights work, um, how their work gets seen, mm -hmm. et cetera? I yeah, that's a good question. I have seen a change and a shift, and I don't know entirely what's responsible for the shift, but it's a shift that I like. And that is to toward a more democratization of what we do. A, I remember I'm going to use my Dramatist Guild magazine. <laughs> I'm a proud member of the Dramatist Guild and for a long time now. And I remember when I first joined and um, I didn't have very much money. So I asked my parents if they, you know, buy me a subscription for Christmas, <laughs> my, my annual dues. And uh, I got get my magazine and it was out of New York. And it was almost entirely about what was happening in New York. And most of the playwrights who were being talked about were in New York. And that was wonderful, glittery. They were smart and amazing. Uh, primarily older white men <laughs> and awesome. Some of my favorite playwrights, you know, Edward Albee, Lanford Wilson, Sam Shepard. I love those guys. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the things that I have noticed, especially over the last 10 years is 
the dramatists guild uh, began having regional representatives who uh, represent and talk about what's happening where they are and i happened to be one for a while myself and that's just a sign of what was already beginning is we were starting to say the only New York doesn't hold all the voices nor the most important ones. They mm -hmm. hold some of the voices which are wonderful to be included in a much richer tapestry that we want to hear and I want to hear. So when I am hearing about theater and what stories we're looking for and celebrating, it's much more diverse in every way. And I love that. I love that shift. I love that change because I want all of the stories. I want more stories all the time from more directions. And I think that is an antidote for a lot of what is wrong in our country right now, which is devastating so many of us, is that there's a division and a polarization when all I want to do is use the tools of theater and humanness and empathy of reaching toward each other and hearing other voices and letting other stories in so that I can, I want to be more human. I want to be a better listener, not just a better talker. There's too much shouting and not enough listening. And so I, but I think that the theater has really been working towards that and continues to and we we fail and we try again and it's not always easy or clear the path forward but in every part of what we do and that's from who is in the room who is in the cast who is in our syllabus of plays that we are reading who is uh, who are our actors who are enacting these stories, which playwrights, all of that. It's, uh, we, we will be richer and better when we let more of each other in. And yeah, some of that. Oh, I feel kind of passionate about that. <laughs> thank you, Ellen. Yes, thank you. I would say, Ellen, that you're in good company. That's That's part of why we wanted to start Theater 33, right, is to have more voices and more diverse voices come to the table and provide opportunities for playwrights who um, struggle to to find places to produce their work and to find their voice and, and to get better at their craft, right? It's really hard to get good at your craft if you're not getting a reading or you're only getting a reading here and there and you're not able to find out how this is working in a staged environment or any of those kinds of things. Um, and build community and connections and all those other kinds of things, but then just also broaden what it means to be a theatrical community and what are theatrical connections um, is just a really important part of, of I think, why Susan, Tom, Deb, why we all joined together to do this. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up, Rachel, because I think one of the things I love about Theater 33 is the commitment too, to producing works by Pacific Northwest playwrights, because to Ellen's point about the theater community being so much larger geographically than it might have been 20 or 40 years ago, um, the, the commitment to working with playwrights that can be here physically 
in Salem, not even in Portland, but in Salem for this opportunity is it's huge. And as we start to see the submissions coming um, almost more and more locally, it seems, I think that's a wonderful thing. You're building community. You're really building beautiful community with the people who are around you. And building a more diverse and richer pipeline too, right? So that's always one of the challenges that people say, well, we don't know anyone who is a writer from the Pacific Northwest, or we don't know a performer or so on and so forth, right? Like this is the American theater conversation that's been happening since regional theaters began. And mm -hmm. so like, then step up and let's create those pipelines and let's create mm -hmm. those opportunities for the richer, more diverse voices in the room. Yes. Yes. Great. <laughs> Well, this has been a real pleasure to talk to the three of you today on this um, July morn <laughs> in pandemic land. Um, I, I had another question, but I, 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 I like where we've ended it because my other question might just take us down an ugly place, which is <laughs> um, what happens when, when we live in a pandemic and how do our plays change and are, will we ever be in a shared space again, which is what theater thrives on. So, Well, what I'll say to that is that, you know, uh, look at us. Here we have figured out a way to reach toward each other, to work together, to make work together, to be creative together in spite of what's happening in the world. And I think we are ingenious humans. We will figure out ways to tell stories together, whatever it takes. Whatever and, it takes. And, and we'll get back to the world the way we're supposed to <laughs> be, be in it. But we just, we need to persevere. And we will absolutely be together again. We don't know when, and that's a really hard space to be for those of us that thrive on sharing uh, that time and space together. But I think we touched on it early in our conversation about how there's something really um, distilled and lovely about running this process and this digital platform. And while I know it's a challenge um, for many of us, I know I have Zoom fatigue at the end of the day and being in a two and a half hour rehearsal Zoom after work all day is a lot to ask. And I'm not even one of the actors that's being asked to, to bear myself. However, we have the opportunity to be so close to the text and to focus solely on the text. Um, and what an opportunity for those of us that are doing this work to promote the text. Well, I thank you all for it. Thank you, Susan and Rachel and Deb. It was a pleasure to work with you on Dorothy's Dictionary and it's lovely to talk with you today. Thank you, Ellen. I agree. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, thank you Deb. Absolutely. Yeah, nice to see everyone. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>